You're listening to the Motorsport 101 podcast coming up, an exciting review of the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach as well as the inaugural Rome Formula E Prix. Welcome to the Motorsport ASMR podcast, featuring the subtle tones of me, Andre Harrison. It's um, late night with <laughs> Motorsport 101. Yo, I, I swear, it sounded like we were about to like start a poker broadcast on ESPN2. We're gonna burn rubber all night long. You must be, you can't be serious. <laughs> And Phil Hamut's having another meltdown. Got beat on the river. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot from East from Northern Europe. <laughs> Where's John Boyce? Gus Hansen's going all in on the tenth consecutive hand. Ooh, buddy. <laughs> okay, we should stop this. This is getting way too meta. Like people are not gonna understand this. Don't worry, it's fine. Uh, I'm mostly just using this voice because I can't talk really loud due to reasons. It's fine. Um, it's cool. I guess we should introduce ourselves now. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It's like, can, can I have my podcast back? It's like, is, 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 is yes, that that's okay? fine. That's fine. Good, 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 good. Yeah, welcome to episode 134 of Motorsport 101. While RJ tries to find a way to calm down his new boner, <laughs> let me introduce the rest of the panel. First of all, we have Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes. I'm here for the wild, fun occasion of talking about motorsport that isn't Formula One. Praise be. Ah, the praise be, praise be. Diddy diddy, diddy diddy. Um, so, that's, that's, that's always a fun time indeed. Christopher the Holiday is here as well. Hello again, Chris. Hey, uh, this is going to be a really, really fun week because tomorrow I drive out to uh, Birmingham. What, what, what could that possibly be for, I wonder? Barber. Of course. The Honda IndyCar uh, Grand Prix of Alabama, which I'll be at. Yep, featuring new University of Alabama head coach, Joseph Newgarden. I wish. <laughs> you mean you mean Nick Saban's finally stepped down and gone to the NFL? <laughs> yep, got to got no? got to replace got to replace his best friend. Bill Belichick needed a needed someone to finish out the job. Uh, as you do as you do and of course Mr. ASMR himself Mr. Roger O'Connell hello folks yes um, you can come say hi Um, at the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama I will mostly be just losing my bird Um, somewhere around the back straightaway at the high speed chicane in the final sector because that's the probably the most visually appealing point of the track because it also gives you the vantage point of seeing the passes at the hairpin it's gonna be a good time i i i may get drunk it just depends i'm most i'm most <laughs> likely getting drunk so without further ado get into this rather stacked show actually we're gonna be talking about uh the 2018 indycar grand prix of long beach this past weekend um and we'll be heading over to Rome for their Formula E E Prix as well. As uh, turns out, RJ's got a brand new favorite TV program. 
more on that later. But, um, in, the, in the meantime, basically you can catch us. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And our personal handles are at Harrison101HD, at um, Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at C the Hard A. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live, which will be another episode of later this week. Talking about all the action from World Superbikes in Aragon, um, all of the British Superbikes from uh, Brands Hatch as well, and seemingly the alarming news on the horizon that is coming through in the last hour or so. It looks like Keenan Safoglu is about to announce his retirement what? from World Super. Yeah, it's it's like apparently he's called an, an emergency press conference. Um, for Friday at Assen because they multiple bikes are doing back to back rounds this weekend there in Assen and uh, he's called a press conference it looks like the five time World Super Sport champion is about to announce his retirement um, that's what uh, our man Greg Haynes is reporting today for MCN uh, it looks like uh, it could be the end of the man's legendary super sport career um, looks like one injury too many uh, after his massive crash he had at Phillip Island at the start of the season. So most likely more about that on Bike Live by the time that goes out. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. And after this brief musical interlude, we'll get into the 2018 IndyCar Grand Prix of Long Beach. Folks, yep, the 2018 IndyCar Grand Prix of Long Beach, one of the blue ribbon events on the IndyCar calendar that isn't the Indianapolis 500. Fantastic turnout from what, from what I was told. Biggest attendance for Long Beach over the weekend since the cart day. So, uh, yeah, fans turned out in force for this one. And they got to witness quite a driving exhibition at the front, King. <laughs> they got to witness a beat them down. They got to witness one of their boys, Californian Alexander Rossi, take home the victory from pole. Leading seventy-one oh, laps out of eighty-five, it was it was thrashing to say the least. That was a molly whopping. <laughs> yep, like it's and he he didn't have it go completely his own way with the amount of cautions in that race, especially in the second half of that going. But it's worth pointing out: well, every restart he had was perfect, and and he was able to just break out three or four car lengths off the restart and always caught the field without napping. And right at the end as well, when Will Power was trying to chase him down at the end of the race, basically tactically bullied Power into burning up his, his push to pass right at the end. Had the advantage and won fairly comfortably. Never really looked like he wasn't going to win that one. Um, but it's, it's like, this is Rossi's third victory. I mean, we, we, we obviously we've, we've known about the Indy 500 for some time. Watkins Glen last year's third series victory. And King, like, the way he's going, he's just he's now just becoming really, really good everywhere now at this point yeah, and, it, and it's not like it's some random new venue on the on the circuit he's winning at prestigious stops on the calendar indianapolis watkins Glen, now long beach all uh, former formula one tracks yeah that mm. is also true all former formula one tracks so much gentlemen for detroit then mm. yeah you're it, right. it, it's it's now, granted bell isle did not hold an f1 race 
but there was talk about possibly bringing F1 to Belle Isle uh, because a lot of people weren't too happy with them being downtown. It's it's almost so like... So it counts. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like he's fulfilling that prophecy from that old issue of Road & Track magazine when he was still at Caterham, <laughs> claiming that Alexander Rossi would be the next Mario Andretti. I don't have that high praise for him yet, but he's clearly showing he has the ability. So, Alexander Rossi has started the season with three consecutive podium finishes. If you go back to Toronto of 2017, which was really his coming out party of like him being a breakout straw. This is the uh, this is straw? the ninth uh, yes, breakout, breakout star. <laughs> no I'm breakout sorry. straw. That's a thing. <laughs> I've had a long day of work. Um, so in the last nine races, he's finished second, sits, third, sits, win at Watkins Glen, crap race at Sonoma, third, third, win at Long Beach. That's a good run of yeah. form. Yeah. It's an, it's an, I don't know if it has a guy in that has got that sort of run of form at the moment. Only, That's uh, insane. only Joseph Newgarden can match it. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. Like I said, I mean, I said towards the end of the last season, the guy is looking like he's going to be an elite. He's already an elite driver in the series. Now he's probably on par with the very best the series has to offer. Um, and it's starting to feel that way because. Like, this is no longer a surprise seeing that it's Rossi at the front. He's just this good. And, uh, yeah, he, he won that race with ease um, in the end. And, again, held off a very, very strong willpower. Again, willpower is willpower. He's good almost everywhere at this point as well. And, uh, yeah, held him off. Tactically was sublime. Took advantage of the, of the cautions. The restarts are on the money pretty much every single time. Fantastic victory, um, all told. Just just brilliant stuff from Alex Rossi. Didn't get never looked like he wasn't gonna win that race. Yeah. Awesome scenes. Like um, strangely enough, uh in a slight tangent, this race really kind of echoed uh the race at Long Beach ten years ago, the IndyCar finale, which, you know, if you haven't seen on racer.com, Marshall Prude's video about it, where Will Power had pretty much a dominant win. He started fourth, but he had the lead by the end of the by the, by you know, turn one. And he led throughout, and they kind of jokingly said that at that time, uh, Will Power was only going to be good on road and street courses. And Marshall kind of pointed out, "Well, you're pretty much an oval master now, Will." And yeah, Will Power, <laughs> Will Power is good everywhere. And if you can, if you can go toe to toe with Will Power and come out head and shoulders better, like head and shoulders, like down the road past him, you're definitely a star in the series. That's Will Power, yeah. one of the most, one of the winningest drivers in the last decade of competition, Absolutely. and a former series champion, and probably the most successful driver apart from one driver that we will talk about, who has yet to win the Indianapolis 500. Marco? Mm, no, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that one. But as you said, like, like. Will Powell's not had the best of luck so far this season, but that was a very solid second place for him. And, like, going back to Rossi real quick as well, I mean, again, like, Rossi was the dominant dude pretty much all weekend as well. Like, he was, he qualified on pole position. He was quickest um, in two out of the three pre-qualifying practice sessions, and he was quickest in the morning warm-up on Sunday morning. Um, he had everything going for him. The only thing that wasn't going to stop Alexander Rossi was going to be Alexander Rossi. Uh, he yeah. just had it all hooked up. 
Yeah, that, that's Indeed. one of the things I really enjoy about IndyCar. This, despite it being a quote-unquote spec series, once you, like, you can have dominant performances where you realize from the start of the weekend one guy has everything dialed in and he's going to go out there and dominate, whether it be, you know, Joseph Newgarden two years ago, no, what, three years ago at Iowa, or, you know, Rossi this weekend. To have a guy you know, you know after the practice sessions is going to be the guy out there, the guy to beat, and hands down, he's going to have to beat himself for someone to get past him. And how much you got to think yeah. it's got to burn up willpower knowing that after Rossi and Power's uh, little uh, kerfuffle at Phoenix that Power just couldn't get past him, couldn't get that <laughs> one up that's on him, just couldn't do it. He'll be infuriating knowing what willpower's like. Um, he'll, he'll be pissed. But I think once he gets his head down and sleeps on it, he'll realize second was still a very nice result to take here. Get to get his championship back on track a little bit. Not the best start from Will. Going down one step further on the podium, hello and welcome back to said podium, Ed Jones. Um, his first podium since the Indy 500 last year. His, it's his first on a road course. And... Uh, God, he was right there in the thick of it, King. Right in the right place at the right time, huh? Yeah, like, uh, you know, he had an off weekend at Phoenix, and that sort of was to be expected. But it really seems that, you know, maybe Chip did pick a winner. Yeah, I'm he to picked a winner. He picked the... a plucky Brit. I'm going to have to disagree with you about him right off weekend at Phoenix, though, because Ed Jones was actually running in second place when he had his incident. And was yeah. was probably on par, you know, on track to get a podium if you know he wouldn't have gone up high while trying to lap Spencer Piggott. But Jones has done a fantastic job all year long, in my opinion. He's he's kept his nose clean for the most part, except for that whole little deal in Phoenix. Um, really, Chip has nothing to complain about, in my opinion. Um, that indeed, yeah, yeah. It, it's easy to see that. Ed Jones was everything he was and a little bit more than what was shown last year. That he's he's starting to come into his own as an IndyCar driver, where it it feels like it it genuinely genuinely feels like he's going to be a constant threat for podiums. And maybe one day, may, maybe maybe even this season, I'm I'm going out there and reaching. Maybe he could sneak a win in. Yeah, again, he's only twenty three years old. You said, you said old. in the preview. <laughs> yes, I did say it on the preview that I said that Ed Jones will get one win this year. <laughs> yeah. We'll go back to the rundown of the actual final result a little bit later on, but uh, this race kind of went semi-viral for one big reason. <laughs> and arguably the pass of the year in all of motorsport so far. Seabass um, himself, Sebastian Bourdais, with an unbelievable... Um, overtake into turn one of Long Beach. Um, Basically giving Sir Isaac Newton the middle finger. <laughs> Let's, let me go ahead and break this down. So so it's about lap 48. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais is uh, coming up uh, trying to pass... Um, I'm trying to make out who this car is up in front. It's Scott Ditson. He has, uh, he's on the outside of a three-wide sandwich going to turn one, where obviously getting two cars in is going to be a stretch. Bourdais has the outside line here, and he's going to use all the track and then some to cut around the outside of the lap car of Spencer Piggott and the car of, Sp of Scott Ditson for position. While under braking, he swoops around the outside of Ditson and cuts under the underneath the inside of Matthias Leist's lap car. 
and just nails the corner with no drama. So astonishing, an astonishing bit of car control. I, I'm, I've watched it five times over, and I still don't know how he was able to thread the needle like that. That is, that is not only truly, <laughs> like that is truly the skill of someone who's won around this track three times. Yeah, you know, it's you know, the, the, the worst four-time consecutive champion in modern-day motorsport, um, as RJ would say. Um, yeah, quite right. So this is just a phenomenal piece of car control. I've never seen anything like that before. He's able to come around the outside of a free wide and still dive it down the inside of the lap car as well. Just unbelievable skill, dot, dot, dot. But, and I have to give a little bit of credit to Paul Tracy here, he spotted this almost immediately. <laughs> um, um, guys, didn't he cross the pit lane line to do that? And I'm like, oh no, why does Paul Tracy not like fun? Why does Paul Tracy not like fun things? If it was anyone else, he'd probably be like, that was awesome. <laughs> But of course, like you know, like we we, we all forget that there's, there's still I think a, a smudge of bad blood there. Because <laughs> Paul Tracy pointed that out almost in, like, almost too quickly. He pointed that out, but yes, sadly, Sebastian Bourdais put two wheels over the blue, hardly recognisable pit exit line, which is which is not allowed in IndyCar. You are not allowed to cross that pit line um, to make a pass, um, which is what. Bordet did, and he was told to drop a position, so he had to give the position back to Scott Dixon. And he just and decided he had... to do that move all over again. Yeah, he just, he just <laughs> dove it down the inside. What? The I'll next time he... Yeah, the next yeah. time around. I thought that was hilarious, by the way. I just I tweeted, like, I was watching the, the fast-forward version of the race on YouTube a couple of days ago again, just, just to gather my bearings, and I remember tweeting, it's like, oh my god, he just swept past Dixon again. Like, some, somebody tell Lemma that, like, Scott Dixon belongs to him now. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now for the second... Was yeah. So now for the second <laughs> time in three years, we have a blend line pit exit controversy at Long Beach, if you remember the conclusion of 2016. Oh god. And both of them involved a very irate Emma Davies Dixon. Yeah. yeah apparently, Scott can do no wrong. Yeah, because, uh, like, you, you notice it during the race where, like, earlier Long Beach Grand Prix, you would notice that, you know, cars leaving the pit lane would, you know, cross the line a little bit early. You you definitely saw it this year. Everyone oh, yeah. made sure they oh, were going yeah. to the exact end of the pit exit line, then going on to the, re the rest of the racing surface. Well, there's an orange line painted, and your transponder had to actually go over that line uh, yep. for you to be considered to have exited the pits properly. Yeah, because they, they instituted that the race after, because I remember Barbara was the first race they had the the timing line for the transponders on pit exit. Yeah, it's, it's like... I, I, I love that um, we all pointed this out. It's like, I think we all just collectively had enough of, of, of Scott Dixon's... <laughs> um, so this is partner in crime, Emma, basically ranting and raving at race control, talking about how illegal that was. Um, like, I think we just, like... I think, I think we, we have a Discord, so we talk about these things all the time, right? And, like, I think we collectively just went, you know what, sod this. <laughs> we, like, we've had enough. Our patience has snapped. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, like, we, we all knew he broke the rule, that that's unfortunate, and kind of just, like, moved on with our lives. But sure. no, no. 
Mrs. Dixon was not having any of it. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's done her usual trick of deleting a bunch of tweets regarding this after, after the fact. But, uh, yeah, she had no problems with the, with the repeat pass like a lap later, which I thought was hilarious. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, just stop. Emma, stop, please. You're embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself here. It's 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 not pretty. Okay, like you've you've been here like, for years. You know how the sport works, right? It's like this. It's not like it's your first weekend, love. Seriously, like you know better than this. Ugh, just 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 right. Just just infuriating. Yeah. But, uh, go on, Jack. Yeah. It uh, this was gonna get better for Sebastian Bourdais until about lap number sixty when his Dale Coin Racing teammate Zachary Clackery Demackery hit the wall in turn ten as he was having a pretty solid day. That caused the pit lanes to be closed. Um, Bourdais and Ditson came down while the pits were closed. Both of them were given drive-through penalties, and now Sebastian Bourdais, having made two insane passes around his rival, has to do all that work all over again just to get back up in front. Uh, hang on a second. Actually, Bourdais was not given a uh, drive-through penalty. What happened? Oh yes, was, you're right. So Bourdais went through the pits, and he did not take service because the pits were closed. Uh, Dixon did take service, even though he was behind Dixon. I mean, behind Bourdais, and Dixon was hit with a drive-through penalty for taking service in a closed pit. Okay, see, that's see, that's right. Yeah, Chris was actually there. He knows. Yeah. It helps. <laughs> How was Long Beach, by the way? Oh, gorgeous. And, of course, I, fly back to, I flew back to Indianapolis uh, Monday night, got there at 1 o'clock in the morning, Tuesday morning, and it was 35 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> oh, dear. Welcome yeah. back to the north. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I leave in about 13 hours for Birmingham, so I'm looking forward to that drive. Birmingham. Um, so then what happened? So then as, uh, Seb was once again trying to get his race back on track, um, Jordan King decided he wanted to be the hero of the story. Yep. Trying to overtake, uh, Sebastian Bourdais in the hairpin, um, which he had apparently had done to a couple of drivers early in the race, but unfortunately he, uh, didn't exactly make this work. He hit Sebastian, turned him around, at which point Ryan Hunter Ray hit him as well as, um, uh, the plot quickens, wickens, uh, stopping behind him, causing a three-car traffic jam, which brought out the full-course yellow. Ah, the old Robert Alon special. Yep, the old, the old, you know, Long Beach hairpin <laughs> traffic jam. Does anyone, does anyone want me to read out the uh, Bourdais post-race statement? Oh, yes, yes because Sebastian Bourdais is a spicy quote. He's my, he's my champion. He's my champion. <clears throat> if, if you may, ladies and gentlemen, uh, get, get your hot chocolate out. I, I'd advise you get some marshmallows in there. Settle down in front of the fire as I go for the dramatic reading, or rereading, I should say, of Sebastian Bordet's post-race comments. Wait, should we have RJ read And I quote... He dissing my reading voice here, Chris? Is that it? <laughs> I think we should have it. Is it, is it Go like, ahead. It's it's Dre's podcast. Dre can do whatever he wants. All right. <laughs> Defy me again, Chris. We sin the sin bin for eternity. Um, <laughs> I haven't left it. It was. <laughs> <laughs> That's a secret. He's always in the sin bin. I respect. Man, <laughs> I live here. <laughs> Get comfy. Um, 
It was such a frustrating day. Full attack, really good car. The Seal Master, got to get the sponsor in. Honda number 18 was really hooked up. I had a pretty good feeling in the warm-up and the conditions stayed the same for the race. It was a tough call to start on Firestone Blacks, um, but I was confident it was the right thing to do as long as I could hold my position at the start, and that is exactly what happened. Thankfully, the start was stretched, so I wasn't under attack until I was up to speed. Then I really started to push hard because I could tell the guys on red tyres were in conservation mode. So I started to think this could be a pretty good day. I passed a bunch of cars, and when I got to Dixon, this is when I held station. He was driving really well. He had the pace because he had saved his tyres. He got to the first pit sequence in Dixon, I am sure, short-filled and jumped power. We stayed on schedule and put on red tyres, and at that point, it looked like the race was coming our way. Clearly, Rossi was on a different planet, but other than him, we were right there. I got Dixon on the restart, and race control deemed that a violation. I thought that was interesting because I'm not quite sure what I was supposed to do. I was committed. There was room, and he didn't see me, so he came down on me and pushed me into the pit lane. If you force me into the pit lane, I'm not sure it is your responsibility. So I got rather upset, so I passed him right back. <laughs> I was pretty happy about that. Then we were just cruising. This is where it gets fun. Unfortunately, as a group, we took a chance to stay out too long, and then it went yellow. Race control could have waited a couple of seconds before closing the pits, but they didn't, and we went to the back where we had to race idiots. <laughs> I was racing Kimball side by side, and he gives me no room, and he bent both of my toe links on the right side. It was pretty much game over from there. I made a mistake trying because of it, trying to pass him again later into turn nine. The car wouldn't turn anymore. Then in the next corner, Jordan King felt like a hero and took us out. After that, I had to deal with another idiot, Matthias Leist, who tried to crash both of us a couple of times. There really wasn't much to salvage after that. It's really disappointing. The car was good, I drove the wheels off it, passed a bunch of guys, and we have nothing to show for it. And that's the story of how Napoleon Bonaparte got sent into exile in St. Helena. <laughs> Seb would eventually finish in 13th place, but... uh Oh dear. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it, poor Seb. It's hard not to feel a bit bad for him after that spectacular pass. And just, it just wasn't his day after that. Just uh, t uh, beaten up, taken out, pushed into a pit lane, um, driven into a closed pit lane, and then bumped again at the end. Oh, poor Seb. What a shame. Uh, I remarked during the race uh, once again that Sebastian Bourdais is the most underappreciated all-time great in IndyCar history who has so many accomplishments outside of the sport. Um, this is the best that he's ever been. And now that he's uh, in his old age and just gives zero fucks now, this, yeah. is, this, is, the be this is the best Sebastian Bourdais. Oh, it's way more fun this way with Seb. It is way more... Like, you can see, like, King is crying happy tears right now as we speak. It's delicious. Um, <laughs> it is good times indeed for, uh, for Seb Bourdais. And again, he's shown his class already on so many occasions. This, this the championship already is playing out quite similar to last year where Seb is punching above his weight and, you know, in the championship mix early going. We'll get to the standings on that later on. But... Um, Speaking of bad luck as well, uh, our beloved new adopted Canadian son at uh, SPM, Robert Wickens, didn't have such a good day either, unfortunately. The, the gearbox fins. control unit uh, decided that the gearbox should remain in fifth gear, which, unfortunately, uh, he would not have had a drive similar to Michael Schumacher in the 1994 Spanish Grand Prix. Oh. Uh, instead, it was going to be just one of pure misery, and he finished, I believe it was nine laps down. Nine laps down in 22nd. 
Not good. Not good at all. <laughs> it's like, can somebody give, can somebody catch Robert Wickens a break, please? <laughs> like, yanked out of that first win at St. Pete after the Rossi incident we all know about. Yanked out of first place during Phoenix after a fantastic pit strategy call from Sindrick on New Garden's car, and now this. Uh, <laughs> Paul Wickens, catch a break, young fella. Um, Though he did, he job did get some uh, some measure of friends on Alexander Rossi after that St. Petersburg pass. If you've seen the gif of uh, Robert Wickens essentially doing like a double-leg MMA takedown on Rossi and like some play plays, it's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> If I remember I'm, right, I might have seen where that actually was. It was actually at an, I think it was actually at the uh, Indianapolis airport. Yeah, it was at the airport. And I thought I thought like Wickens was gonna go full Canadian and pull Rossi's hoodie over his head. Yeah, or just do like Happy Gilmore. I'll just yank the hoodie off and then punch him on the way down. <laughs> oh, dude, that would have been fun. We, we could have broken up the Motorsport One One Fight Club Claxon. That would have been great. But um, it's only a mini version on this occasion. But that was a, a fun gift. You should find it on the internet if you haven't already. Um, good news for Andretti. Two cars in the... Like, we have three cars, technically, I should say, in the top six. Not only Alex Rossi winning, but... Uh, well, we've had Elf on the shelf. But get ready for... Veach at the beach. Zach Veach in fourth place. Um, brilliant result for the youngin. <laughs> And it was, um, it came back from 16th on the grid to finish fourth. Our friend yeah. of the show, Elizabeth Worth, brought a special t shirt for him and everything. It was a good time. Yeah, it, it must have been a fantastic week for Zach Beach. Unfortunately, at the start of the week, he had to vacate his Raw Tag Team Championship. But you know, the fourth, <laughs> place, <laughs> fourth place makes up for it. I actually showed him that tweet on my phone, and uh, he actually got a good laugh out of it. So, full marks to Zach yes. for having a, a sense of humor about that. And, of course, uh, one thing he also told me uh, on Saturday, uh, the team actually had a mistake on the car's setup on Friday. They had to fix it on Friday afternoon, and uh, they had to, he had to kind of relearn how to drive it, um, which he figured that out pretty quickly because he you know, got fourth place. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff from the from the youngster there on that one. Just outstanding stuff. Um, brilliant stuff to get in there. Oh my god, sorry, I think there was dots on in the background, and Gary Addison was one shot, it was one dot short of a nine darter. Oh. <laughs> it caught my, it caught the side of my eye for just a second there, I was, and I was, I was like, oh. just following. I was just following up with that. Yeah. I was just like, oh man. I was ju- I was just trying to hold it down there. I was trying to keep my composure there, but that was um, so hilarious. It's, a, it's but, pretty awesome. Zach Beach going from pit reporter one year to his first top five finish the next at the very same venue. Zach Beach has worked very hard for this opportunity. I'm glad that he's having success. He's done a good job so far. Um, hasn't really put a wheel wrong uh, at all, really. Um, another thing I think we ought to mention... Um, Jack Harvey got a 12th place finish for Schmidt-Peterson, and Kyle Kaiser uh, got Yungos' best finish. Uh, I think it was like 16th or so. Um, nice. Fun- funny thing about those two guys is the last time that they were both in Long Beach, Kaiser was riding the back of uh, Harvey's car as uh, in the 2015 Indy Lights race. He uh, missed his braking point and punted uh, Harvey out of first position. <laughs> no. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't. Otherwise, you'll be. Uh, that that'll be your introduction to uh, f- you know, YouTube fame. Of course, not really uh, all that well. 
But Kaiser, it was his first IndyCar race in the state of California. He's from Santa Clara, California. Um, the only time he put a wheel wrong was uh, in qualifying when he uh, hit the wall in the first session. So other than that, he was it was okay. Got the car home. Yeah. Now he gets that. Now he gets to make way for Renee Bender at Barber. No, Bender's not doing Barber. Um, he's. I thought he was doing Barber this. I don't this think he weekend. was doing Barber. Uh, at least I didn't I see it on the entry list. I Maybe I I can check and see. No, I got the Spartans guide up here in the Discord chat. It's uh oh yeah, let me see here. Yeah, the oh, he is doing it. Wow, yeah, that's, yeah, that's actually yeah, oh, that's surprising. I, th I didn't think he was doing Barber. Wow. All right, drink. Chris was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Your glasses, people. I'm I'm more wrong most of the time. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Further back, and uh, I know she's listening in the background as we speak this. Ladies and gentlemen, Marco Andretti back in the top six. <laughs> yep. Yay! Started. Yay. Woo! Yes, he came back from 20th on the grid to finish sixth. Marco always seems to do reasonably well at street courses these days. Sometimes. It's a good, yep. it's a good result for him. Andretti at Autosport has just got everything going. Poor Ryan Hunter Ray, though. It's as it was said. Ryan Hunter Ray, it seems like he's kicked a black cat into uh, a mirror that was located under seven unlucky ladders. Yeah, it, and then afterwards, he celebrated by throwing a shoulder, uh, salt shaker over his shoulder. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the comparison is a direct one for one. It's not nearly as bad, but it really feels that that Rossi to Hunter Ray is like Brady to Bledsoe. Like, it's... <sighs> Mm, it really feels oh. like yeah. It really feels like this is Alex Rossi's team now, and Hunter Ray is going to have to deal start, with it's it. starting to feel that way. Yeah, it because remember who was the one Andretti that was a title contender last year at the final round? It was Alex Rossi. Uh, kind of says it already. It's like it's like the pendulum has swung in the, in that team, and it's like Rossi is now leading the charge in the twenty seven. Rossi, being um, a Pats fan, would definitely appreciate this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I forgot he's a Pats fan. Well, there's at least something redeeming about his character. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, not such a good day for Hunter Ray. He eventually limped home to 20th in the end um, as well. We've got to talk about a little bit about Turn 1 as well, because if there's one guy who endorses the sanctity and the and cleanliness of the race, um, the Van Uber, that's a wipeout joke there, of, 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 of IndyCar drivers himself... <laughs> Graham Rahal is all here about the clean racing unless he plows into the back of Simon Pagano 10 seconds into the Grand Prix. Well done, Graham. Nice to see you were duly punished for it and he ended up finishing in fifth. God damn it! With five pit stops. With five pit stops, including a drive through penalty for avoidable contact on lap five. You want to hear the saddest uh, bot score line off of this uh, off of this IndyCar bot score report? Simon Pagano's elapsed race time point one oh five nine seconds he crossed the start line god bless him yeah. so so, <laughs> so Dre, we, we, we've gotten through the chinese grand prix now we've gotten through long beach who's higher cool. on your get hit list max verstappen or graham ray hall oh it's graham ray hall. <laughs> the thing is like, i'm not even thinking about it so like, at least verstappen like has taken due punishment by getting bollocked in the media even to the point where his own dad is telling him, okay, son, wind it down a bit, all right? <laughs> and he, he, he has been punished on two occasions so far this season. He's actually duly not had the luck on his side since the start of the season began. 
Graham Rahal, I think, is what third in the championship right yeah, now. Yeah, third in the championship. <laughs> How? <laughs> you know, Bobby, where are you at, Bobby? <laughs> Mr. Consistency, yeah. and he's going back to one of his favorite tracks. Yeah, Graham Rahal is now top of my shit list. He really is. <laughs> and, um, and Simon Paginot only has a single top ten finish at Phoenix to show for all of his efforts. Yeah. Indeed. But in Brighton News, he was able to sign Joseph Newgarden's mother. <laughs> no, I'm not making this up. Check oh his Instagram page if you don't believe uh, me. At Simon Paginot. There were some undertones going on. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, because uh, messages. Yes, um, like the fact that Graham Rahal and Simon Pagano were also teammates at Penske in the IMSA North American Endurance Cup, where they drive with Elio Castroneves and Juan Montoya, Ricky Taylor, and Dane Cameron. Ooh, that's going to be a very awkward six hours at the Glen coming up. Yeah, I don't think there's, I don't think there's going to be many conversations there. Like, like Rail's going to be the odd, the odd one out that's been bundled into the group project at the last minute. <laughs> With half the work already been done. Um, so it's not going to be a good look for there for Graham. And, uh, but you know what, Graham's like, we just want to give a shit. We'll just go around saying, yeah, I'm the best driver on this team. We're all, all going to drive clean and follow standards, everybody. Um, so that's fun. One more quick note as well. Shout out and congratulations to Carlin. Their first top 10 finish as a full-time runner in the series. Charlie Kimball coming home in 10th place. He has been upgraded again from Draconian to slightly above average Kimball. Congratulations, Charlie. He's back. (laughs) He's back for 2018. You've upgraded him back on the scale of Draconian after, you know, almost decapitating, (laughs) you know, Elio Cachanevas' head last year. What well on, Charlie? You're moving up in the world again. Good lad. I'm pretty um, sure Matt so, Shilton was having a good run as well. That didn't quite pan out. He got caught yeah. up in stuff and was and ended up 17th. Indeed. Nice to see Carlin taking some positive steps forward as well um, as the series goes on. Right, quick rundown of the full race result. Alex Rossi takes the win by 1.2 seconds over willpower. As Chris mentioned, 71 out of the 85 laps were led by Alex Rossi. Insane stuff indeed. Ed Jones rounded off the podium a further eight seconds back in third. Veach at the beach in fourth, ahead of Draconian Rahal in fifth. Marco Andretti sixth. Joseph Newgarden, just a very quiet weekend from him, really. Never even looked like he was in it. But seventh place, solid points. So one will be defended. The one will be defended. And he set fastest lap of the race as well. Every little helps. Every little helps. Tony Kanaan in eighth. Is that, I want to say that's Foyt's best result of the season so far. No, that's, I want to say. that's his joint best results. He's had two top tens in a row. He's solidly <laughs> top ten in the points right now, I believe. Yep. Not bad from the old boy. No, the old no, he's just there. outside the points. But time, yeah, he's 11th. Close enough. Um, yeah, Tony Kanaan in eighth place. Another solid result from him. James Hinchcliffe in ninth, not able to defend his Long Beach title this time around. As mentioned, Charlie Kimball rounding off the top 10. Um, Sebastian Borde's bitch finished in 11th place um, ahead of Jack oh Harvey. Oh my god, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Love you really, Scott. <laughs> Jack Harvey in 12th for uh, Michael Shank there. Sebastian Borde, the uh, bitter, bitter Frenchman in 13th place. Mateus Leist um, in 14th place, Spencer Bigot in, in 15th, Carl Kaiser in 16th place, uh, head of Chilton, Jordan King, Gabby Chavez in 19th, Ryan Hunter-Ray in 20th, ahead of maybe later Sato, 
Robert Wickens, as mentioned, the gearbox issue. I finished again. Finished uh, was it twelve laps off the top in the end. Um, Zachary Clement de Mello in twenty third, and Simon Pagano, whose race lasted an entire tenth of a second, back of the field indeed. Looking at the championship real quick, Alex Rossi leads the championship for the first time in his IndyCar career on one hundred and twenty six points. He's twenty two points ahead of Joseph Newgarden in second. The one is being defended reasonably well still. Graham Rahal is in third place. I'm not bitter about this at all. 33 um, points <laughs> out of the lead. And then we got ourselves a, we got ourselves a good dice for third in the championship right now after three races. Indeed. I have Sebastian Bordet only five points further back in fourth on 88. James Hinchcliffe in fifth on 83. And then Scott Dixon in sixth on 79. So that I make that six different teams in the first six positions in the championship. Kind of bonkers, I have to say. Um, Ryan Hunter Rain, 7th on 73. Will Power, 8th on 72. Ed Jones, deep into the top 10 in ninth place on 69 points. Nice. nice. And Marco Andretti Ad- Ad- rounds off the top 10 in 10th with 68. Just a point ahead of Tony Kanaan and two points ahead himself of Robert Wickens in 12th place on 65. IndyCar, as mentioned, will return... This weekend at the Grand Prix of Alabama in Barber Motorsports Park. One of our favorite rounds on the calendar. RJ's effectively home race, so we'll probably be hearing all the stories from that on next week's show. And, so, uh, and the home Grand Prix for Joseph Newgarden, who was born just two hours up the road and has won two of the last three runnings of this event. Hashtag Fort Newgarden. <laughs> the one will be defended. Oh, it's going to be a good time. I'm going to be there. Chris is going to be there. We're probably going to hang out. We may not. It's fine. We're going to have a good time regardless because it's going to be a good race. You're going to love it. Guarantee it. I would never steer you wrong. They always produce good crowds there, which is funny because it was originally built as a motorcycle racing track. Yeah. Indeed. I miss AMA Superbike so much. We got Moto America now. It's fine. It's not the same. It's kind of the same. It's not the same. <laughs> In- <laughs> yeah, 86,000 spectators at Long Beach. How much do you think Barber Motorsports Park can get in the gate this weekend? Ooh, somebody should get, try to get Nick Saban to show up. I'll tell you what. I tell well, you, Gus, he, well, he, so, he can be Grand Marshal. Well, so funny enough about that, at the Talladega race for NASCAR the very next weekend, Gus Malzahn from Auburn is going to be the Grand Marshal. <laughs> oh, my- Pick a, pick a side, pick a side, Barber. <laughs> like you, you, you can't split this one down the riddle, people. Well, they, You're gonna have to pick a side. Pick a on side this one. because back in 2013, uh, Bo Jackson was the Grand Marshal. Oh. And a, and a couple <laughs> and, a, and a couple of years later, Bart Starr was uh, the Grand Marshal. Oh, so can't wait. So they're being neutral as all hell. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, no potential bias here whatsoever in, in, in the land of Alabama. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll check back with IndyCar next week after Barber on next week's show, episode 135. So, after this quick musical interview, we'll be back with wait, you with the wait. Formula E. Chris, Ooh, wait Chris, a minute. any last words before you have to leave us? Well, I was going to try and play into that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep spoiling my thunder. So, <laughs> well, I do have some last words. Uh, so there were some other races at Long Beach that weekend. Uh, 
IMSA had their WeatherTech Sports Car Championship there. The Bubba Burger Grand Prix in Long Beach. <laughs> oh, what a name. What a name. And they also had historic Trans Am cars, which were awesome to see, some drifting. And then you had Robbie Gobby, Rorden Gordon's Stadium Super Trucks. And one thing that it has, that Stadium Super Trucks has taught me is that Robbie Gordon just does not care. Um, <laughs> so let me let me set this into proper context. Um, there was a post-race press conference. They had the race on Saturday, then they had one on Sunday. Um, and Matt Brabham did half of a lap uh, on two wheels, which was very impressive, by the way. So he goes along and does this, you know, victory lap, and they bring the podium guys up there to the press to the media center, and also they brought Robbie Gordon. So I'm down looking at my computer, trying to get a couple of things ironed out, and then I look up about a couple of minutes later, and I see three women to Robbie's the the left, and then three women to the right, and I start thinking, okay, this is interesting, and. <laughs> It ended up getting to the point where the press conference went on and dragged on so long. I ended up leaving the room because you know you just couldn't get anything done. But that was that was very very uh, interesting to say the least. You got to see uh, Alex Gurney drive one of uh, the late, his late father Dan's uh, old Indy 500 cars around uh, Long Beach as well. It was Formula uh, actually, so that was actually Formula 5000. And it was actually the oh, very nice. It was actually the very first car that ever took to the track in Long Beach in any practice session, and built by All American Racers. Yes, indeed. I've still I've still got to listen to the uh, to the radio broadcast of the Enzo race. I heard it was a good time. It can't be as batshit crazy as the finish the last year's one was, though. <laughs> No, it wasn't. But it was still, uh, it was still pretty good. It was still pretty good. Nice. So that being said, uh, IndyCar is coming up next at Barber. I wouldn't pick against Joseph Newgarden to win if you were looking at doing your fantasy pick sometime soon. Uh, and I'm getting ready to get on out of here because I have something to go take care of in a little bit here. Uh, also, last thing I'll mention before I head on out. Um, ended up visiting the Nicholas Hunziker Automotive Art Facilities in Torrance, California. Uh, picked up a pair of s snazzy new driving shoes, which you can see on my Instagram, at C. DeHardy. And I hope that y'all, uh, if y'all ever get a chance to go visit Long Beach, y'all take a visit out there because it is a fantastic facility. He does a lot of great work. Awesome. Indeed. Awesome, awesome. Well, that being said, guys, I'm going to go ahead and head on off. I have a couple of things to take care of, but we're going to bring Hazel in to take care of Formula E. Dre, thank you very much for having me on. Always a pleasure, sir. See you next week. Cheers. Bye, Chris. <laughs> and end. And now after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about Formula E in Rome, which was fancy, fairly hectic, to say the least. <laughs> And welcome back to part two of part two of this double header of Motorsport 101. It's, and it's you on problem... one file, Dre. It's on one it's... file. That's the joke, King. Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're, but, we're, uh, we're uh, heading into multi-part sagas now. 
Yeah, I know, right? It's like, it's, it's like, like every podcast will now follow a free act structure. But um... Welcome to Motorsport 101 Adventures, Act 7, Part 5, Part 2. Third chapter. But um, as, as um, Chris alluded to in the first part of this, of this show, we have to swap presenters out. It's kind of funny how we can do that every once in a while. Power of editing. Cheers, Lewis. Um, so Chris is out. And we've got another guest back in, and amazingly, she's not at an airport. I think I think RJ will you know, supply ambience as as time goes on for that one. So, uh, welcome back, Hazel Southwell, everybody. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. Do, do you feel like alien now you're doing the show? And you're not... <laughs> it's a bit weird doing it from my own back garden. <laughs> just as dodgy. You mean like how most podcasts are normally recorded? <laughs> in the back garden. Yeah, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, of course, of course. Like, I say roll with it, quite frankly. Um, Good afternoon, passengers. This is the pre-boarding announcement for Flight 89B to Rome. We are now inviting those passengers with small children and any passengers requiring special assistance to begin boarding at this time. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Regular boarding will begin in approximately 10 minutes' time. Thank you for flying Motorsport 101 Airlines. Uh, also, uh, FR926 uh, from Rome Ciampino uh, says, if you're a totally useless person and have no idea what to do at a boarding gate, you should line up at 5am because uh, that's perfect. That's that's the time when all the people have no idea what to do with boarding passes. Good to know. Good to know. You should just get in the maximum amount of way. <laughs> the maximum amount because that's going to get you on the airplane quicker. Yep. Got, you got, know got you need it. a passport? Oh, you shouldn't be in this queue. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if you heard, this queue is exclusively for people who have no idea what they're doing. Oh, we, we, we're not supposed to learn how to airplane in media res? Oh, no, no. Um, uh, if, if you're getting an early flight from Rome Champino, um, basically, it, you should be... So- Surprised by a passport and a boarding pass, you should be really startled by that, and you should have to go and find somebody else in a different queue to get your passport and boarding pass from, despite having sat in that queue for forty-five minutes. Jesus, <laughs> I need a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> like so, like we've you've Hazel place. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the peace envoy at the moment now, because we didn't have to fight a bitch in the for, for a boarding pass in the queue. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> should we talk a little bit about Formula E, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. I think we should. Um, because, uh, boy, we had a we had a barnstormer of a Rome E And, uh, yeah, relative chaos even before the race. Um, we have to talk a little bit about this in qualifying, because, like, this this was crazy, to say the least. Um, <laughs> a a oh, yeah. I mean, there were multiple shenanigans in qualifying. Tell us more. There was a shenanigans to let people out for qualifying. That helps. And, um, um, uh, which group qualifying is hard. Yeah. Um, and it's especially hard when the start line is over 200 metres away from the finish line. So they were in time to cross the finish line. They were not in time to cross the start line. Ah, I see. 
Mm. Um, so once again, uh, because of the length of the pit lane, um, formally re-equalise the start and finish lines. Um, and if you couldn't cross the start line, which is not the finish line, um, before the checker flag, you couldn't complete oh your lap. God, that sounds like so complicated. That sounds like yeah. a hot mess. But th <laughs> this is Formula E. This is Formula E. This is how it works. This is not the first time it's had this. Because I'm so used to... Uh, yeah, I'm so used to the, the IndyCar format for when when the start finish line is different for qualifying. It's clearly it is, yeah. like it's clearly marked that this is both the start and finish line for qualifying. Oh no, it was. I mean, to be fair, both of these teams were edging it really hard. They were looking for a clean lap. And to do the final lap in Group 1, which we all know is death group yes. in Formula E. We don't know if it was death group, except that those five in the championship who were once again Group 1. It is a lottery to which of the groups get in Group 1. Uh, I actually think we would it's more fair. Are the qualifying order grouping that they're doing is more unfair. Yeah, it is. Because um, about how he, he was five times in group one. It's because the bottom group won. Um, and I believe that is happening. But the order has been quite, I think maybe it's just that the bottom group are group one. In which case, that is grotesquely unfair because it's basically taking a shit and putting yeah, because like pretty much. I don't know why they, uh, they... like I, as far as I know, it's chance based. Yeah, like I don't. But know... it keeps being this. Like I would, and like I don't know. I only approve of chance-based shenanigans when it comes to qualifying if there's, like, a giant spinning wheel involved. Yeah, like, it would be, it would uh, well, be the, nice if they actually... The qualifying lottery, because it basically was that. It was like they... I want to see them go full prices right with this. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see, like, full qualifying roulette. Um, but I... I group three is generally the fastest um but in rome none of that was true uh, so traditionally group one is because developing um a clean line is developed to qualify in super bowl if you're in group one they were this large some didn't even manage to put a time in um, Jerome D'Ambrosio, even on his 170 kilowatt lap, managed to qualify within the 110%, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, uh, which that was his out lap. That was his slow ass lap. Um, but the fractions were so small. Um, and uh, qualifying, so uh, Andre group qualifying led the field 
by putting in a lap where he found four tenths in the tricky third sector, which is meant to be like impossible to do. Um, so the third sector is uh, 13, uh, sorry, nine of the 21 corners. You shouldn't be able to find four tenths in nine corners. Um, he did. Um, and he managed to top the qualifying times in group qualifying. Um, and then Felix Rosenqvist in the pole beat all of the lap records. Uh, so he holds the fastest timed lap of the Romy pre-circuit by a massive distance um, with a 136.311. Super pole? You don't get a chance to warm up the tyres, you don't get anything. Super uh, pole for a super GT superstar. Yeah. Um did really well there um and yeah he took pole by seven tenths right 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 races where there's been a bigger gap but but it's an enormous gap it it is a big one but um i mean hazel talk to me about like the narrow pit lane because i I know that okay so yeah absolutely bonkers so the pit lane was over a half a I want you to think about that in the context of the fact that the track was as long. The pit lane was 510 meters long. And the pit lane, so onto the pit lane, really tight right angle into the pit lane. You have the Jaguar garage, um, you have the other rest of the bottom five from last year's team's championship. Ending in Neo, um, and then you have the safety car garage. You take a right angle. You have about mm, 150 meters of single car file space. You have Tachita, DS Virgin, Mahindra, Audi, massive gap, Renault, and then you have an extremely tight out um it was the most bizarre looking pit lane i've ever seen and nelson pk jr said to me on friday it's normal um nelson pk jr during the race uh left his garage without his seats uh seat belt correctly buckled and was unable to return to the garage because he was in front of andretti and they couldn't even push him was literally obstructing another team. <laughs> the, the funniest thing about that, seeing that, that in, like, race. yeah, the funniest we, thing we, seeing we, that in real time, which is an issue of the pit stop practice that is currently being done. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, like, I, I nearly tried to corner him after the race, but he was in this towering rage. But if, uh, there's one other thing I wanted to point out during that race as well, Nelson. I love that the pit lane timer kept running. Like at one point, it was like over three minutes. And like, are they just going to leave the car there? Uh, no, his his official pit stop classification is four minutes. Before... Oh my god! Yikes! <laughs> oh dear! The fastest pit stop allegedly was Jeb's. Um, uh, something like 
off. I don't have it in front of me right now. A bit like 47 seconds. Something. Which is extremely fast to go 50 kilometers an hour. And it's over hot pit lane. Like a drive through here would have been brutal. Yeah, I can imagine. Jeez. Yeah, they should like. Right, I mean that that's race. You, you play your over, which I also thought about like Antonio Felix a ten second penalty before the um so there was an incident in group. Antonio Felix Costa was released into um Jose Maria Lopez, uh, Lopez quite. Rightly, to be honest, uh, went absolutely spare because um, they they both lost the chance to qualify, oh. um, and it looked a lot like he punched Antonio. Apparently, he didn't, but it looked a lot like he punched Antonio. Is it time um, for the Fight Club, Clatson? Uh, no, Antonio, no. Antonio, I mean... to be fair, immediately got out of his car and removed it from the dragon, like he was pushing his car back on the dragon car and trying to like salvage something um but both cars were out of contention for qualifying um and he was given a 10 second penalty which is colossal penalty is like like by the time they finish if there's 10 seconds from the leader to the end that's a lot um, whereas, like, watching Max Verstappen be given 10 seconds in Formula 1 and lose one place. Yes, we talked about it the last episode. Yeah, that was but, fun. But, like, even so, it's, it's like, it's it's a joke that the same penalties are applied. Yes. Like, because penalties in Formula 8 really mean something. Like, they really fuck up your entire race. Uh, whereas in Formula 1, it's like, well, he should have been given drive through and probably a 510-meter pit lane driver, you know. Um, but yeah. Uh, so it was a gloriously unusual race. Um, as Jean Todd said in, on the Friday in a press conference, Formula E is not normal. <laughs> and he was uh, right. Yes. Uh, so he was actually saying that People think, oh, it's normal that you can organise events in the city centre. It's not normal, which is a great quote um, and fantastic to take out of context, <laughs> which obviously we all immediately did. Um, uh, but um, yeah, it, it's amazing that it was organised in Rome. Uh, uh, so Alejandro and uh, Jean Todd had the start of Formula E. Um, and um, they had only just uh, managed to do it. Uh, one of those, uh, Virginia Elena Raggi, who is the, the current mayor of Rome, um, who particularly wanted to do it. Um, so all this fascist architecture, <laughs> but it's not the classical architecture. Of Rome, it's the fascist architecture of Mussolini. Yeah, it was. It was clearly built Which, in the 1930s. 
Uh, moving on to the race. Um, yeah, we should definitely talk uh, about the the other good looking successful person that won the race. Yo, you're watching Bird Up, the best show in Formula E. <laughs> I love it when Sam Bird wins. Like he's just so happy. It's his seventh win. It's his seventh career Formula E victory, and he's back in title contention. Yeah, and it's 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 scary to what think. What I wanted this year, what I desperately wanted more than anything else, was for a salmon jab title race, and I thought I wasn't going to get it. I've moments where I haven't believed, but everything's coming out my house, and like maybe. Maybe this, maybe this one time, it, if I, if, if I just hope, and like I don't know, I don't, I don't, but this is some death title race. <laughs> yeah, we should rewind it back because uh, it didn't look like he was gonna have this. Just kicking all kinds of ass out here on the track. Um, took pole, of course, um, started the race very well. Looked like he was going to cruise to victory. Then in the final third of the race, he just gets bit too much of the curbs and breaks his suspension and my heart. God, I, I felt shit watching Felix fall out. I felt sh- shittier watching Mitch Evans ever. Oh, poor that, Mitch that Evans. That to me was the worst thing I've ever watched. Like, so he, he driver in Formula E. He is twenty-three. He is a ween. He is GP two. And it was GP two when he was in it. Mm-hmm. Um he had a dire year of Corville Jaguar and fourth place. Or be it during a chaos. But, like, he has... I know there are lots of people who are willing to shit on Mitch Evans, but he is really young. And, okay, he said at 17 that I'm spot on, but so did I. Um, But, like, he's a really nice guy, and he's incredibly... And he spent basically the entire second stint of the race holding off one multiple time Le Mans and Lucas Degrassi, who is the current Formula E champion. So, so RJ, um, could you recap what happened to Mitch Evans in the race for those who might have not seen the Epre? Yeah, um, no, that's yeah, fine. So, from probably. the uh, from the highlights perspective, Mitch Evans had uh, had basically been having the race of his life briefly led during the pit exchange looked like he was at least going to get a podium and then in his defense of Andre Lauderer and Lucas Degrassi which was very staunch defense right by the way for the last three laps um Mitch brah you just run out of uh just ran out of uh usable energy my dude and he uh slipped all the way down to ninth ninth Oh, out of a race that could have easily been a podium. Um, so what happened was Mitch, uh, um, basically, I didn't speak to Mitch after the race. On a normal lap of a Formula E circuit, 5% is what you need. 
so five percent would be more than enough and he started his last lap um and the last lap was when he lost uh seven players um but he needed seven percent and i think he was because he was fighting he was mentally calculating to five not to seven energy management is part of the game so yes he should have been better on that but it was a bit grim to watch yeah. uh, to just watch, watch him get shot yes. um, and I particularly felt Degrassi didn't really deserve that podium so RJ one of the things that was actually pretty nice to see watching from home on television was the new cable cam oh golly that was so neat and I had a look at the track itself yo this track's got elevation it's wide as hell there's a lot of good passing opportunities uh except at some hairpins of the circuit where you can okay. easily don't, pile up don't get used to cable cam <laughs> uh this this was a function of fascist architecture <laughs> yes. height. like don't get used to that but why can't we have it everywhere why can't we have it in brooklyn because the allies won the war rj because the allies won the war um, that's true Oh, I mean, but... like, if we can find a way to... I've got, like, a weird, like, tiny GoPro thing. Like, we can do it. <laughs> we, we, can... we can try. <laughs> we can just attach it to a drone and hopefully... We can go rogue. Like, I'm not... I'm not saying that we won't either get arrested or attacked by the mob, but we can try it. We can try. It'll be, like, scra scrappy challenge cable count. I'm I'm up for that. Oh so, yes, goodness. So, um, yeah. So Dre, can you run us down the results of the Romy Pre? Sure. Uh, I, I'm taking the back seat roll for this episode. So big. Um, but so, yeah, I thought you died. I thought win. you died. <laughs> no, I was like, I was going to leave you guys to it. Um, yeah, it's like it's like don't mind me. Uh, but yeah, Samba took the win in the end. Uh, Again, just under a second ahead of Lucas Degrassi in the end in second. Andre Lotter up, good nine seconds further back down the road in third. Uh, Daniel Lapton, fourth continue in his decent run of form and gets the bonus point for the fastest lap of the race as well. Our beloved Jev in fifth. Cross on times himself, Sebastian Buemi in sixth. Jerome D'Ambrosio for Dragon up there in seventh. Um, Jerome! Nice to see Jerome up there um, again. Mauer Engel in eighth. Mitch Evans, oh, that, that, that last lap kind of says it all. 140s, 141s. Mitch, field And Mitch, 211.7 on that final lap. Again, kind of says it all, really. Oh, ninth place for poor Mitch. Um, deserved so much I mean, better. The internet was trying to give, give him a hug, and I was like, I mean, no. no. <laughs> I don't see what good me hug person and like a sweat hugging a sweaty person could possibly do other than making us both very unhappy. Um, mm -hmm. But like at the same time, but also I feel like we failed to Alex Lynn. 
Oh gosh, oh, Alex Lynn's race didn't get going. Didn't really get going. He just got swiped off at the first. Uh, now, yeah. uh, oh well, not RIP career in Formula E potentially. Uh, oh RIP. gosh. Um. So how on a scale? Sorry, of... uh, Dre, continue with the results. Yeah, yeah, that's almost fine. Um, yeah, Morata in tenth, round enough the points then. We have uh, Felix da Costa in 11th, Oliver Turvey in 12th. Presently, quite down the field from the Nio team there. Luca Filippi in 13th, uh, Nicholas Prost in 14th, Tom Wonfist in 15th, Nick Heinfeld in 16th, um, Pachito himself in 17th, four laps off the top, and the three DNFs mentioned, Felix Rosenquist um, getting a little bit too friendly with the curb, Nelson Piquet getting a little bit too friendly with a loose seatbelt. And Alex Lynn, who, as mentioned, didn't really get going and took time out of his busy schedule of screaming in the car off and putting it in the wall, the poor fella. Not the best so, weekend from him. So on a scale of one to Marco Apicella at the 1993 Italian Grand Prix, how embarrassing is it to have potentially your final e-race colored by plowing into the back of your teammate during a multi-car pileup? Well, if you're Luca Filippi, you may have just experienced this, and now your seat's been taken by Ma Queen Ha. I have two things to say about this. Um, the Paris E-Prix is the most prominent E-Prix for Formula E sponsors. Um, so they care about lots of things unless they're national-based. Uh, so like CBBB... Uh, CBMM Niobium wanted a Brazilian EPRI, but they also sponsored the last two EPRI in Uruguay and uh, Rome. Um, but if you are a significant sponsor, such as Neo, the Chinese car maker, uh, then Paris is for whatever reason the big home race that you could berserk at um like it's short of monaco this is where you go not um it is the one that is the one that is most inside landmarks it is the one that is most like um i mean right next to the uh, uh right in the heart of paris is unfolded is like really very in the center right next to the sin it's it's a very very central spectacular berlin um zurich uh now in sector two which is sort of like around the lake um and even in berlin we were way out of town we weren't next to the coliseum um and so Paris is like the very important one for your European sponsors or for anyone who's involved. Like you cannot get accreditation or tickets to the Paris EPU money at the moment. Like I literally had somebody who is a sponsor of Mahindra on the phone to me earlier going like, oh my God, you have a uh, tickets to the Paris E-Prix because I do run them. Um, I mean, I don't anymore. But he was like, I really, 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 really need that. 
because they are in such short supply that even the teams and sponsors can't get enough. Oh dear. Um, um, but that's I mean it's great it's like the Romy Pre sold out in 30 minutes of tickets when they're really small like this is fantastic for the series Um, but yeah it's it's a Paris is a big shot thing so if they were going to put Marco and Car in the car now is the moment to do so. Um, that doesn't, it's still the 68 car, it's still Lucas' car. He will probably still be there. Nothing is about him being replaced, it's about Mar going into the car that race. Yeah, like uh, from what I've heard, it's only for this race. Okay, I see. As so... things stand, yes. Unless he, it, unless he amazingly astounds everyone, yes. As things stand, that's it, how it is. Yeah, and there's nothing that's been on uh, Ma's I mean, resume just that, yet. Uh, that Neo are a Chinese-owned uh, team. They yes. are under tremendous yeah. pressure to put a Chinese oh, right yes. in Yeah, and in fairness, uh, Ma's done some great work in world touring cars. He's still waiting on that first breakthrough Formula E result. Yeah, so he will be the first person to drive for... Oh, no, sorry. I was told he'd be the first person to drive for three different Formula E teams. Bullshit. I would like to introduce you to to one Jean-Eric Byrne. Um, but um, he he's had a go with a few teams. He had a go with Aguri, he had a go with Tachita, and he will now have a go with Neo. Whether he can perform now, I don't know. He was faster in the simulator than Jean-Eric Verne before Tachita launched with him. He was faster in the simulator than Jeb. That is pretty nuts, especially given Formula E. However, I, I would say, and I'm... So this sounds really judgy and really body judgy and in a way I don't want to be, but most Formula E drivers are all lean muscle or incredibly hefty. So like Andre Lotterer is the only driver I could borrow a race suit from. And Jev is sort of like lean, but a lot more muscular than he was in the Toro Rosso years. Sam Bird, when you look at him, pure muscle. Um, when you look at Felix Rosenquist or Muscle, um, like uh, Lucas Grassi and Sebastian Wayne have both had fast cars. Lucas has a solid muscle, the weight down. Like, if they have 2% body fat, I'd be amazed. And, um, like, that is what you need because you have to be hard, round, cool with no power steering that weighs nearly a ton including you um, and it probably weighs over a ton including you guys. Hmm. or well close to a ton including you if you're Andre size because um, it's 880 uh, minimum weight and then you have to allow for the driver the extent to which 
someone like Ma or Tom Blanc struggle with the calm because they simply do not have the muscle mass to deal with it and I think honestly Tom Blomqvist is struggling with the fact that he is not because he's tiny he's tiny <coughs> and his arms are tiny compared to mine I think he's struggling because he just literally doesn't have the strength to pull the car so what you're saying is he needs to build up his muscle get some gains yeah basically yeah just yeah. more squats literally which I think is partly why Mitch Evans is so good at this, because he's used to the non-power steering um, F2 car. Um, Mitch Evans does not skip arm and shoulder day. Um, and also, he's a short guy who built up a lot of muscle. Like, he's... I don't know. I mean, I'm 5'10", and he's four, five, six inches shorter than me. Like, I mean, it, his height claims he's the same same height as me, but he's at least two or three inches shorter than me. Oh. Even go, if we allow with for the, a bit of like dehydration the... and compression during a race. Oh, I, I assumed it was going with the pro wrestling booking of saying that you're taller than you actually are. <laughs> yeah. I think like drivers do lose height during a race, so um. Like, if you interview them on the Friday, they're taller than they are on the Saturday. Uh, but it's because they've been crunched in the car, they've been in an extreme stress position, they've, like, everything. Dehydration, everything. This is the final boarding call for passenger Jean-Eric Verne, booked on flight 372A to Berlin. Please proceed to gate 3 immediately. The final checks are being completed, and the captain will order the doors of the aircraft to close in approximately five-minute time. I repeat, this is the final boarding call for Jean-Eric Verne. Thank you very much for flying Motorsport 101 Airlines. Mm. Anyway, sorry. I don't want to keep you guys for any longer, but my final observation about the Rome Epri uh, would be that I think um, it's an exceptional track. It's really good uh, in terms of hairpins, in terms of very long, but the elevation was interesting. Um, it's intensely energy usage track, so that will be interesting how it shakes out with the Gen 2 car. Um, especially because they won't need to come into the pit, the amazingly long pit lane. Right. There are 2,700 yeah, reasons to enjoy Rome, as, as you had written, Hazel. Yeah, I mean, uh, not to give myself a shout-out, but just in case anyone uh, who listens to this podcast is unaware of my work, um, I am the former E journalist who likes to go that bit extra so my editor was like why didn't you write 11 things that were cool about the Rome Epri and I was like sure uh, that's a random number uh, let me think of a different number how old is Rome oh Rome is 2771 years old so I'll I'll just like write a toad mystical of 2771 things that are 
historic about the Rome Ypres. I would like to thank some members of one for not just coming down and slapping me in my face uh, when I was like, I've got two things left and I don't know what things are anymore. What are things? Things? No. Um, uh, but I, di I did manage to do that. It's on Drive Tribe. Please uh, bump it. Uh, link it, give it more hits. I, I, I really need um, the hits and the money. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I think we'll just about call it a wrap on that. Um, thanks everyone for listening. If you guys catch us one more time, we're on YouTube, Sport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Then our personal handles are at Harrison 101 at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at H Southwell FE. And if you're really, really lucky, so you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, $5 gets you ready access to both this show and to Bike Live. Uh, thanks for Zoe for reminding me in the Discord. Don't forget to follow Chris as well at See the Hard Day as well. Thanks for reminding me. Um, but yeah, $5 gets you ready access to both this show and to Bike Live. Again, that'll be back out later this week. BSB and WSBK reviews from Gone and Brands Hatch, respectively, and maybe even some breaking news about Keenan Safog mentioned at the top of the show already. So keep half an eye out for that. Um, again, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, Krista Harday, and Hazel South. Until next time, sign out. Later, y'all. Bye.